There is no one like Jesus. There will never be anyone like Jesus. No one as magnificent. No one as loving. No one as caring. No one as strong. What this world will try to offer you is put people up there that they want to rival Jesus. And these people, they'll, they'll be in awe of just mere human beings. But we serve and we love and we worship the God-man. Amen? There's something so spectacular about our Savior. And I want, we got the adults, we got the kids in here today, and I want you little kiddos to know. This is, I want you to open up your ears. This is the important message you're going to hear about Jesus today. And I want you really to understand it, to be in awe of it, and rejoice in your Savior, Jesus. So does everyone have their certain movies that they watch every year during Christmas time? You know, good Christmas movies like Lethal Weapon. <laughs> uh, we have our rotation of movies we watch in our house. Um, Elf is a big hit. I don't know if Elf is big in your house. When he jumps on that Christmas tree, I laugh every time. Um, I like Jack Frost. Michael Keaton, I don't know. Ever since he played Batman, I can watch any movie he's in, and I still enjoy it. There's something wrong with me. I'm an 80s child. But Jack Frost, I love it. My kids don't like it. I got to watch the old school ones, Frosty and Red, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But there's one in particular that I love to watch every year because of the message in it. How many It's a Wonderful Life as we have in here tonight? Come on now. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. If that doesn't get you emotional, if that doesn't move your heart, if that doesn't make you contemplate, you need to think through your life. Because It's a Wonderful Life is a fantastic story, and all of you know it, but I just want to give you some quick updates on it. If you haven't seen it, don't come back to church until you've watched It's a Wonderful Life. I'm only playing around. All grace here. George Bailey gets to this point in his life, and I want you to think about your own life now. George Bailey gets to this point in his life where he says, my life is in insignificant. I should have traveled the world. I should have went on all these adventures. I had a chance to be someone who was praised, someone who had an adventurous life, someone who woke up every day and my feet didn't touch the ground and I just enjoyed life. I missed my calling. I stayed home in this beat up town with these same friends, same people doing the same thing. My life is insignificant. It had no value. If only I did this with my life, it would have meant something. So he heads to the bridge. He's at the bridge. You know it's serious when you're at the bridge. He jumps off the bridge into the cold water. My man Clarence comes out the gate. Come on. Clarence comes out the gate. Brings him inside. George has no idea what's going on. And he begins to show him his life. And the people in his life, what their lives would be like if he wasn't there for them. So you have Billy, right? Billy can't get anything right. He loses eight grand. Who loses eight grand on Christmas? You're like, Billy, don't do it. It's horrible. Potter closes the door, you know. You're like, he sees Billy has gone crazy because he wasn't there to bring stability into his life. Right? His brother was a great war hero during his life. But all of a sudden, he's built, built, he goes to the cemetery and he sees his brother's tombstone because he wasn't there to save his brother when he was seven years old. He sees his wife, who they had a great family with, and they loved, they loved each other, started a family, you know, just this wonderful life. And she is alone, and 
she doesn't experience all the joy that if he was there. And he realizes that my life has so much significance because of the people that I affect around me, because of the people I love every day, because of the people I'm patient with every day, the people I laugh with every day, the people I support, the people I don't want to listen to anymore, but I'll give them 10 more minutes. My life has great significance and value beyond anything that I could comprehend. And you think, man, life was horrible without George Bailey. But when George Bailey was there, he really brought, he solidified his family, his friends, his loved ones, and brought much joy into life. His life really had much value, even though he couldn't see it. So first of all, I want everyone here to see that your life has tremendous value, even if you can't see what you're doing in other people's lives. Even you just saying hi to some people. That special generous gift that you give to someone. That person you see every day at Dunkin' Donuts. That person that you've give, given the 27th chance to, and you're still loving them, and you're still caring for them, and you're still bearing with them. That person who would be friendless if they didn't have you as a friend. That relative that would have no one to talk to if you didn't talk to. Your life has great value. Do you hear me on that? That's the first thing. Now I want you to imagine the most horrible thought. This is hor- worse than every horror movie you ever saw. This is the most horrible thought. Imagine for one moment your life without Jesus if he never existed. Imagine if Jesus never came, born into this world, died for our sins, atoned, rose again, lived a perfect life, is coming back one day, and was our God and Savior, King, exalted above all. Can you imagine life like that? Imagine going through your story, and we see where we find you, like where they found one of George's friends. He was just drunk in the bar, and his life was totally destroyed. Because George wasn't there to catch the poison before it went out to the family? How many of you, if Jesus was in your life, would be totally destitute and empty? How many? Yes, I'm looking for Christmas Eve interaction tonight. We got the lights off. It's like a movie. It's serious in here. I can barely see you. What I'm saying is I know you. Dennis, imagine your life if Jesus was not in your life. Alex, imagine your life. You just celebrated the birth of your son if Jesus wasn't in your life. Rich, imagine your life if God did not take hold of your life. Danny, imagine your life. And I can only see to the 11th row, so I can't keep going. But imagine your life if there was no Jesus. This is how significant this night is, that Jesus is born into the world, not just another boy, not a myth, not a baby, not a, a fairy tale, but God, the Word became flesh, the second person of the Trinity, enters into human history, fully God, fully man, to do what no man has done before. We're celebrating Advent. And what's Advent? We talk about our fall and need for the Savior. We talk about the Messianic prophecies. We talk about salvation of a mother last week. And this week, we're talking about the Messiah has arrived And what this truly means that each one of us who has put our faith in Jesus, this is the most important night because your Savior has been born. Everything you're waiting for has happened. Amen? This is something that doesn't get old, and it will never get old in all eternity. So I want to start with a few things. If you turn with Luke, I'm going to try to fire through some of this stuff, get us all jacked up for Jesus, then you can go eat your mashed potatoes.
I got that ham waiting at home. It's just sitting in the crock pot. I can't get it off my mind. <laughs> just cut three minutes off the message. All right. <clears throat> it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. <clears throat> and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the towns of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And that at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. <clears throat> so let's start here. You see in the Gospels, in Matthew you have a narrative of the birth of Jesus. Matthew is framing and showing us Jesus as king because his audience is the Jews. Mark's audience is the Romans. So what he's doing, he's showing Jesus as a servant. You get to Luke where we read. Luke is for the Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, people who were marginalized, women who were marginalized, poor children, all this. It was the marginalized. So you'll see Restoration Road, we're all about reaching the broken. So we love preaching out of Luke because Luke wrote this book for the broken. Then you have John. That gospel is a heavenly vantage point. It said the word became flesh. It like gives you that bird's eye view that not only the baby was born in the manger, the word became flesh. The second person of the Trinity, God became man. So that's what John is doing. In Luke, I want us to tackle it here and help get these hallmark images out of your mind when it comes to the manger scene. Where the donkey somehow is smiling for the picture. Mary is perfectly ready. She just had a baby. What woman have you seen just had a baby and is ready for, like, take the picture? No one. This is a dirty, smelly, ordinary delivery room. Okay? I don't know about you guys, but I was pacing like a chicken with my head cut off in the delivery room. Natalie was yelling at me. I was telling her to keep going. They said I left for a sandwich. It never happened. I stayed in there the whole time, I swear. But I want you to see that an extraordinary Savior was born in an ordinary place 
from an ordinary mother to save an ordinary people. There's only one thing that is extraordinary in all the world and all the cosmos, and that's Jesus Christ. We are ordinary people, and that's okay because we worship the extraordinary. <clears throat> what is extraordinary? What is extraordinary is always Jesus in the scene. That Jesus, the Son of God, is born into this humble setting. This shows you the kingdom of God. This is what I love about the kingdom of God. You know, people try to make the kingdom of God overly flashy and overly shiny and consumer-like and all these kind of things. But Jesus is teaching us over and over again that the kingdom of God is about the last and the lowest and the most humble and the meek and those who mourn and those who poor, poor in spirit. He didn't choose a palace. People weren't shooting off trumpet, the angels were, but it was this lonely place where no one understood the magnitude of what was happening besides those who was revealed to in that place. It was a dark place, a cold place. Mary was exhausted. It had been a long trip. She'd been obedient, as last week we talked about much suffering she went through. And finally, this gift, the greatest gift that humanity has ever got, Jesus is born into the world. I want us to try to understand the manger scene better like this. You know how in the plays in the church, um, they always, you got to have a Mary, you got to have a Joseph, you got to have a Jesus, but it's that plastic doll that never looks right in the play. And you always have an innkeeper. Do you guys know there's no innkeeper in the story? I hate when that happens. They throw a new dude in there and everyone thinks it's scripture. Like, how'd this guy get in the story? What happens is it talks about an inn. And so people said there has to be an innkeeper, so they throw him in for artistic. I'm with the artistic world. I see what they're doing. But what happened is that Greek word inn is kataluma. And that means guest room. Every house you had in the ancient world had an upper room that was for all your guests, okay? When your family came in town, you would put them up there. It was the upper room. It was the Cataluma. It was called the inn. You put all, when you showed hospitality to travelers and people didn't have anywhere to lay their head, they would stay in the Cataluma, the inn. What happened in the text we just read? Everyone came home, right, to Bethlehem? Joseph, all his family, all his friends. Imagine all your aunts, uncles, crazy uncles, cousins, that cousin you haven't seen in 30 years, they all show up at the family's home. Know what's going to happen? That upper room, that cataluma, that inn is going to be full. There's no place for Mary to have a baby. And I don't know if any women want to have a baby with your family around. You pick that one person, right? They're in. There's always someone offended. You know the truth. So Mary and Joseph can't fit in that upper room. There's no room in the inn. They go downstairs and that fit. I'm just proposing this. It could have been a separated stable. It could have been a major. But what makes logical sense to me and what many theologians say is what happened is, listen, if Joseph go home to his family, his family is going to open up that house. And you're not going to a hotel when you've got your family's house to have a baby. So what happens is that becomes like a manger scene because it's so cold during that time of the year, you bring the animals in because the animals were your livelihood. You grab your horse. You grab your cow, you grab your lamb, you grab your cattle trough, 
and you put it in there, and it becomes like a manger scene in your house. It's smelly. You got the animals. You got the horse trough for a manger. And that's kind of what's happening on the scene. I want us to be a little more theologically sound and get away from the Hallmark card. You know, that just consumerism and all that business. I mean, they're beautiful. But you know what I'm saying. This is a scene in Joseph's house, a manger-like scene. The inn is full, and the Son of, born, Son of God's going to be born into the world in this scene. Now, it's kind of like I was born in the projects. I spent one year of my life in the Cambridge projects. I have 11 aunts and uncles, okay, and a cousin who was like a kid, so he became the 12th and was part of the family in a project home. You know what happened to my Uncle Paul when he was born? There was no room in any rooms. They pulled out the bottom bureau drawer, and they made it a crib. And they was like, this is how we do it. He didn't know any better. He was like, you know how we do? It was his first time on earth. In the same way, Jesus goes right in the horse trough. They don't know. They make that thing up. He's showing his humility. He's showing that he's here as the Lamb of God to lay down his life. He's showing the kingdom is not about the outward. It's about the inward. It's about the humble. It's about the ordinary. And the extraordinary has come. Amen? So hear that scene first. Secondly, you've got to understand in God's story, there's no minor detail that's an accident and just gets thrown in there. So why the shepherds? Why did the angel go to the shepherds? And this is wonderful. When I, when I understood this, it helped open up the gospel for me, big time. These weren't just any shepherds. I would say, according to the scripture, that these shepherds took care of the tower of the flock. Was, I mean, the, the Hebrew word is migdal idar. It was the tower of the flock, and there weren't just any sheep there. These shepherds would care for the sheep that would be brought and used as sacrificial lands in the temple of God to atone for the sins of the people. Do you guys hear that? So these shepherds aren't just, oh, there's some shepherds out there. Angels, let's go see them. There's a point to everything here. These shepherds are greeted by the angels. And what these shepherds would do, they would have protect the males, the firstborn male lambs. They would have to keep them without blemish because if they got any kind of blemish on the lamb, they couldn't be used as a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. Do you know how they would certify that the lamb was qualified to be a sacrifice for the sins of the people in the temple of God? They wrapped the lamb in swaddling clothes to certify that it was a lamb that could atone for the sins of God's people. Did you notice that in verse 7 and verse 12? It says, I'll give you, the angels come, I'll give you a sign, and you'll see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. These shepherds would know what that means. It, doesn't, it would sound odd if you didn't put it together. Because if I said, listen, you're going to find a baby, he's going to have a bottle. You'd be like, it's going to be a great sign. You'd be like, every baby has a bottle. You're going to find a baby, it's going to be epic, he's going to have a diaper. You say, every baby has a diaper. But what they are saying is, you're going to find this baby, and it's going to have swaddling clothes, just like the lamb who you certified to be the firstborn without blemish who would die for the sins of the people, this is a sign that the Savior has come to lay down his life for his people. The Messiah has come. Amen? Is that good stuff? Did you just grow on that? That's huge stuff. You've got to see how every detail works together to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it exalts Jesus. They say, peace on earth to whom all God he is pleased. Um... If you're like me, you only know the first line to every Christmas carol. I'm like, joy to the world. Ba, de, ba, ba. Like, I don't know the second line, but I still get amped up. 
with Christmas carols, if you really listen, because the angels kind of say glory to God in the highest, almost like they write a Christmas carol. When you listen to the words of a Christmas carol, they are so gospel-drenched and talk about the Lamb of God who would atone for the sins of the world and save us. That it will blow your mind. So hark the herald. We're going to sing in a little bit. It says, Hail, the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail, the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays by glo- his glory by. Born that man no more may die. That's powerful. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. What's happening in the scene is the angels, it's, it's angelic, it's powerful. They realize on a cosmic, heavenly realm level that the Savior has been born, and they can't even contain themselves. They're saying, glory to God in the highest. Rejoice. You don't understand how powerful this is, that God has come to earth as a man, and they're rejoicing. They're hawking the heralds. That's serious stuff. Then what child is this? We, we sang it the last two weeks. This seems like, I don't know, to any parent, these are serious words for a baby that was just born. What child is this? But they're celebrating this. Nails, spears shall pass him through. I don't know about any parents, but they start singing when I just had a kid. Nails are going to pass him. I'll be like, this ain't right. The cross be born for you and me. Because this baby would do that. Hail, hail, the world made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. There's so much rejoicing going on because of what this baby will do for all the world and all who would believe. And finally, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. That's thousands of years of waiting for this king to be born. So we're going to end on this final point that I want everyone to hear now. That God came to bring you peace. Amen, Thomas. Amen. I got an orchestra. And I love it. That means the church is healthy when you got the kids rejoicing. The reason everyone is so riled up is because there's no peace on earth. And there's no peace between God and man. If this baby is not born and does not grow up to die for the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. Now imagine the love of the father that he was willing to send his son. I want to ask you parents out there, how many of you are willing to let your child suffer so that other people might be saved? He, he allowed his son to come to earth to suffer so that all who believe in him could be saved. That is huge. Some of you here today are struggling having peace. You say to me, how can you have peace with all the terrorist attacks going on? How can there be peace on earth with all the terrorist attacks going on? How can there be peace on earth? My wife just left me. How can there be peace on earth? I just lost my best friend. How can there be peace on earth? And this is what I'm going to tell you now. There can be a peace that passes understanding when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior because Jesus Christ has overcame this broken world and you can pass with peace through this life knowing that in the next you have peace with Jesus and one day he will return and make all things new. Amen? That's a different kind of peace. Some of us are looking for joy here on this earth that cannot be found. Life is very unsatisfying whether you want to admit it or not. There's a lot of amens you won't want to give out because you're sitting there with your family. 
I don't want them to think I don't love them. Life is a big letdown in so many ways, and the scripture says that. If you don't hate this life, how can you love the gospel? You cannot find peace here with all these earthly things. And if you keep trying, if we keep trying to find peace on earth without Jesus' kingdom realized, you will keep being disappointed. No matter how many times you try to fill the I feel better, oh, I'm down. I feel better, oh, I'm down. Get used to being unsatisfied and only being satisfied with God and everything that he provides. Amen? This is huge, guys. I know some people are trying to sell you something else. We're supposed to forsake this life and suffer in this life and lay down this life and give our life for others and forget this life for the next where we receive rewards from the Almighty God. The only way you will have peace if you stop trying to make your heaven here on earth and you realize heaven will never be earth, but you pray for God's kingdom to come and his return and you forsake this life to love everyone else with all you are and give your life for the glory of God the Father. Okay? That's how you have peace. Peace for those with whom he is pleased. So I want to give a final evangelistic call. And I want everyone to hear me today. This is the gospel. Some of you might have heard of religion, that you have to do so many good things, then God will love you. Or you need at least six consistent Sundays in order to believe in God and be all right with God. Or some of you believe that your sins are too terrible to even be forgiven. What I want you to hear today, this is for someone here, that the gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a free gift, just like Jesus was a free gift, and all you must do is believe. And if you believe, God will work the Holy Spirit, he works repentance in your heart. He gives you the faith, he gives you the strength to walk with him. And today... Please hear me. If you believed today that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe that this baby is the God-man, if you believe that God is something miraculous, then you are saved. You are right with God. You are what they call justified by faith. No man is justified by works. So if you think that coming to church, you're going to get good enough and holy enough and read your Bible enough and love people enough and know the Christmas carols enough, then God will love you, it's the total opposite. It said God sent his son, born into this world while we're still sinners, to save us. See, religion teaches us to us backwards. It teaches do this to get Jesus. Gospel is Jesus did this. We get him if we only believe. Amen? This can be a very important Christmas for some of you who never put your faith in Jesus. And I pray today that you put your faith in the almighty God parents tomorrow. There's going to be a lot of toys going around. If you got a Hatchimal, it's big time. But take some time, parents, grown-ups, people with kids, without kids, brothers, sisters, friends, take some time to read about the birth of this baby and celebrate a loving God that was willing to send his son to die for us. Amen? Let's pray.